Welcome to the Political R&D Podcast. I'm Robbie Krieger-Smith. And I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. We bring political analysis and commentary on events in Alberta and Canadian politics. We discuss policy and look for expert insights into topics relevant to government, policymakers, and issues that face voters. I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean, and my guest host today is Mark Taylor. Hello, Hello Mark. Hello. <laughs> and today we are looking at the biggest announcement that came down yesterday. I mean, really, if you have to choose. But the biggest announcement that wasn't COVID-19 related was the provincial government in Alberta is going to invest $1.5 billion dollars into TC Energy's Keystone XL pipeline. That's 1.5 million this year. Billion. Billion. Sorry. Yes. Billion. Sorry. B. And they'll <laughs> be on the podcast and see me putting the little tiny finger up to my chin. So. <laughs> yeah. No. That's a that's a 1.5 billion dollar equity investment mm-hmm. for 2020, which will be followed by a six billion with a B loan guarantee in 2021. Yes, which will take it to its completion in 2023. However, when I was doing a little... Then we're supposed to get all our money back. (laughs) Because at a profit. Yes, uh, within a year of completion. And uh, TC Energy doesn't have to start paying back the loan until they start, until oil is flowing. Flowing, yes. Yes. So if it happens to take a little longer than that, Alberta's not getting any payments. So we are purchasing shares worth $1.5 billion. So we own those and we can sell them later. Okay. Much much like the other pipeline that the federal government owns. So, oh, it's uh, not the same when conservatives not... do it. Right, right. <laughs> what? What's what's that term when when a government buys a corporation? Oh, let's see here. And, when and, it's and can a oh. and, and can a province nationalize uh, a uh, a pipeline? <laughs> I don't know. There's no. We don't. We don't actually own the pipeline near to what uh, the federal government owns the trans. The, the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Correct. One, yeah, they, they That's 100%, own it. Yes. yes. So we we just have equity shares. Right. Which is, well, like they said, like Kenny said, he thinks that uh, it's a good investment and that we will be able to sell those shares at a profit once the pipeline is complete. Providing. Oh, and, and he might be true. It might be right. It might, Yes. I, I mean, I mean, the, the, the economists out there aren't uh, saying that this was a bad investment. That's right. Uh, you know, really, the only negative I saw wasn't even actually on 
the Alberta government's action, but actually uh, Moody's has uh, changed the credit outlook of TC Energy to negative because uh, they're not assigning any cash flow to uh, TC until the project actually. So, so I mean, there, there's probably some incentive for TC not to drag their feet on the 2023 because if you're getting a kind of a negative rating, that doesn't do well for if there's any investment dollars ever to come back. That's true. And now one thing that I did see an explainer on as well is that with the government of Alberta backing the loan, um, and who knows what our credit rating is going to look like in two years, but with the the Alberta government backing the loan, uh, TC Energy will get a better uh, interest rate. So it's, it's, it's essentially a co-signer, right? Like they're yep. guaranteeing that this will be paid back. And so they will get a better return. Uh, one of the numbers that I saw was that it should save TC Energy about 60 million a year in interest payments by having the government back the loan. Or yes, yes, because it's a loan. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, well, so it's, it, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. We're, yeah. The, the province isn't lending the money. It's a We're just saying, you know, if, if TC uh, fails to uh, put up, you know, if they, you know, Hypothetically, oil drops below $20 a barrel and Russia and Saudi Arabia, let's pick two random countries, uh, mm -hmm. decide to get into a fight over the pricing uh, and drag this out for two or three years and said company goes under, then we're on the hook for $6 billion, But Right, right. But in the meantime, it's, it's a great investment. I know, it's all hypothetical. <laughs> it's a good investment in Alberta's future. And... That was something that Jason Kenney said during the press conference yesterday is that it was it was offering a sign of hope and a sign of optimism. To who? I don't know. I don't know. To 17, possibly 1,700 Albertans that may be hired for this project. Right. Just don't stand so close to me with the welding. <laughs> Now, mm -hmm. to be fair, you don't want to stand that close to a welder anyway while they're welding. This welding. is true. But, yeah. You know, there's risks. Yes. Um, which TC Energy did say that they would absolutely abide by all public health recommendations and ensure the safety of the crews and the communities that they will be working in. Right. So I'm. this is where one of those things that, you know, we didn't even get into this, but now that you mentioned it... Um, We've got all the all the oil and gas workers and the like have been deemed an essential service. Yes. So that's fine. Um, but we had situations up in Fort Mac region where uh, the, the they're deemed the essential service, but they're all still in the same camp. Mm -hmm. and, and there was so, that scare. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I'd be I'd be curious to see how moving forward this is being addressed well and i think uh okay so i'm not i'm not 100 percent positive um i've never worked on a pipeline but you know i may have dated people back in the day and they all had their own hotel rooms yeah yeah so I don't care how that sounds. Maybe anyway. we'll, get, we'll have to get David Kahn on <laughs> about what it's like working on a... What uh, it's like to lay pipe. I didn't say it. You did. 
he did. I just quoted. Yeah. So, so there's a, I mean, there's a, there's a possibility, um, you know, that the, there's a possibility that, that they will be able to keep people safe. Um, you know, depending, like I, like I said, I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. I'm not positive that six people hop into a truck every day to go back and forth. I'm not positive that the places that they will be uh, staying in, you know, will offer uh, them the ability to uh, dine together and dine with other people. Like I, well, that's just it. Like, I mean, hotels aren't being deemed essential services. Restaurants aren't allowed to serve sit down. So, I mean, you're, truckers you're, are, yeah, truckers are having a problem getting meals. So how, how are guys working on a pipeline going to be any better? So that goes back to now we're going to have to bring in a camp. The camp will be deemed essential service, but you know, and having spent a little time back in my oil patch days, um, in camps, the rooms will keep you isolated, but, you know, communal bathrooms and uh, communal eating spaces and entertainment areas. And like you said, you know, that's all great. But unless everybody is walking to location. Uh, They're going to be in close contact. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it, it just basically remains to be seen how everything will work out for them. Um, obviously, I mean, it's... <clears throat> You know, I've, I've seen some criticism about how the government laid off 25,000 EAs, maintenance people related to schools, uh, because, you know, the schools were closed. It wasn't a necessary service anymore. Uh, I did see one person who brought up that the majority of who, like the majority of people who were already laid off would be women. And so we gave up $128 million that was essentially fanned out between 25,000 uh, Albertans for 1.5 billion that's going to potentially create 7,000 jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So there was there was a little bit of uh, a little bit of blowback to that. And I mean, personally, that wasn't even my first thought. My first thought was, I thought we were broke. Yeah, no, uh, I think if you get into <laughs> was this a misogynistic um, decision, I think that's that's coming from people that are looking for anything and everything under the sun to, um, you know, find fault with the government. Could be. So I think your point's more accurate. It's like, do we have the money? And mm -hmm. that, that's where, you know, we're, we're not having conversations as an electorate about, you know, this is long-term investment in our economy versus this is operating budget. And you can't use the, the excuse on one side and the opposite on the other. If we have no money, then we have no money. We can't invest. Much like the analogy of you're in a household, <laughs> if you can't pay your credit card debt, you don't go and open up a uh, trading account on E-Trade. Like, true. So it's, you know, it's the same argument and, and that's why people get upset. And so, yeah, do we or do we not have the money and is this government tone deaf? Oh, and see it, 
the the thing that I've learned and really it was quite beneficial to have not paid as much attention during the PC years because you always had a continuity of ideology right so for 40 years no matter no matter who became the next premier there was still continuity of of programs and services you know even when Klein came in and was ready to cut there was still a a basic ideology that he was following that was very much the same so to to come in and start paying radical attention like I did in 2015 well I saw things change and I saw some things that didn't and then to go to UCP I mean you are seeing this massive difference and the the thing that really stuck with me when the UCP first came on was that their spending their spending was the same even though they were cutting H and they were cutting uh, education funding they were still spending the same amount of money it just really showed the difference between priorities right the spending is the same but the priorities of this government are different and so that was I mean I think that was maybe the starkest that Alberta's ever really seen in in you know a generation if you've been paying attention to politics because it yeah that that was kind of the biggest thing that shocked me the most is that spending was the same well, I mean, you know, not to pick on the age people, but they don't make up of that much of the budget. So no. when you reduce it, your spending still looks pretty much the same. Now, reducing what you pay doctors, okay, that might change a little more because healthcare or how much you're spending on education, that might change how much you're spending because um, that those are bigger line items. I mean, we are still talking, what, 100 and, say, $125 million for the for the staff that just got laid off? Yeah, 128. Yeah, so that that's a that's a significant number. I mean, it's 1% of the uh, um, 1% of the labor force, but I mean and it's not 1% of the budget, but I mean it's it's definitely an impact. So mm -hmm. they are they are making moves to reduce spending, um, but they've made moves to reduce revenue faster. Oh yeah. And that because was like that was their first that was their first uh, order of business. Yay, populism. The, the biggest issue that I had with this announcement, because like you said, there, there are a number of people, and I mean, we all know that investments are, investments are good for the future, right? Yep. Of course, it depends on what you invest in. It's making smart investments, and whether or not oil is the smartest investment is up for debate, but the thing is that... Well, just just as a contrary, I mean, you know, pretty much every investment the house on the planet has said no, it's not. But you know, what what do these guys know? They only do it right. full time. Right. Wait, what is it? What is it? Their job to know. Yeah. Um, so. And the war room's coming for them. Not as not as harsh now for the next three months, but the war room's coming. There, <laughs> you're in the targets. For Russia. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> watch out! But, watch, watch out, Putin. Tom Olson's coming for you. That's right. That's right. Go war room. Um, but yeah, it's like, I mean, we've been told for the past, and I'm guessing it is around eight months or so, we have been told that Alberta is broke. Alberta doesn't have any money. 
that was actually one of the reasons, or sorry, one of the justifications used to talk about how, or sorry, why we were laying off 25,000 EAs and, and facility maintenance people is because we just didn't have the money to do it. So to then turn around and say, oh, but we do happen to have an extra 1.5 billion. <laughs> like, really? Really? It, I'm, I, I I'm, struggle. Well, I, and I don't think there's anybody who can stand up other than some of the most ardent partisans to say that this, this was handled well by the UCP. I mean... Jason Kenney wasn't even in the house. He had to go down to Canmore to do his announcement. Like, why oh, which Canmore? for weather reasons, it was moved to uh, McDougal. No, wait, oh. McDougal Center. Okay, or at least we're back into a government facility then. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but, but the whole Still. thing is, it's like, <laughs> it wasn't handled well. No. But but I'm I'm skeptic enough that in three years time, nobody cares. Well, and that's the thing, right, is that no matter what we are going through right now, and this is a, like, this is a big deal right now. We we finally ended March. Yay! <laughs> For those wanting to know, we are recording April 1. Yes, April 1st. So, you know, and after 12, so none of this is April Fool's, unfortunately. Um, but... You know, like it's, is is this next year, because it is, it is probably going to be another year before things start to look different, really different. Um, so, like, do, are, are people going to forget that? I don't, I don't think it matters if they forget it or not in the next year. And, and we've talked about, and maybe the next podcast we look at is uh, how, how do these things play out in the long run? Because, you know, there, there's a big difference on, you know, how the UCP is covering this pandemic versus how, say, the Republicans are covering this pandemic. Because the Republicans go into an election in uh, four, 11, uh, seven months from now. And yeah. uh, so they're just just over seven months. They're voting, yeah. but Berta doesn't go to the polls for another three years. Isn't and, it? Oh, and God, there's it's... the the comment about all voters is our memories are short. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely they are. Um, we've we've seen that a number of times in the past. Anyways. Uh, as much as people think, you know, people will remember this, yet they don't. You know, it, it really does depend on what the economic situation looks like in 2023 and whether or not the opposition to the government, whichever party that is, um, whether they're able to say that we should be in a better place because of whatever things and we aren't because of what the UCP did. Yeah, but it's going to be how, how, how could the NDP prove it? I mean, it, like everybody was blaming Rachel Notley for the drop in oil prices. Nobody's and, blaming Kenny. Yeah. 
And so like, this is, this is the, you know, what's the impact, you know, is, is, is conservative Alberta going to vote for conservative Alberta? Cause heaven forbid, we didn't count on this oil crash. Got to <laughs> give us another four years. Uh, I, I don't know. I honestly, like I've, I've heard some, you know, I've, I've heard some speeches from Kenny um, one of the COVID updates that he uh, sidelined Dr. Hinshaw for. And it bothered me when he started to, that I'm glad he stopped because I don't think they should share space. Personal opinion. Um, but, you know, he, he did give, there was one day, however long ago, no one has any concept of time, but where he said, you know, as a as the premier, I would like to be optimistic, but I also need to be honest. And this is going to have a big impact on our economy. This is going to be harmful. So, I mean, even like little comments like that, little times like that when he actually is honest, um, I think it goes a long way. So I like I don't I don't know how you can. <clears throat> well, okay. So you, uh, I mean I'd even go as far to say is okay. So he's building credibility. That's not going to be remembered in three years either. No, it won't. Uh, but like I am not a Jason Kenny fan. Yet even I have seen those moments from him where uh, where he really uh, encapsulates. Is that the word? that that leadership quality and if he can remain in that position now i mean the thing is this this 1.5 billion dollar investment could totally blow up in his face right if it if the pipeline isn't up or if it if there are if there well, are problems with it once it gets to the u.s border we have yep. no control over that Worst case scenario, we we spend all this money, we guarantee a loan to a, to a company, we end up with the extended oil fight between uh, Saudi and Russia, and Biden wins the presidency and then kiboshes the the other side of the border. Right, like there that's, are there that's, are that's so a horrible many situation to be in because now this company who's who's you know got a six billion dollar loan, we're not we're not out one at that point, we're now out seven seven and a half, so. Yeah. Plus the possibility that the, that a major Canadian company could fall down. Yeah. Right. Like there are, there are so many there are so many downsides. The upsides to all of this are so reliant on luck and timing. Are we going to get it through fast enough? Who knows? There's, uh, but I think there's I think there's a lot more risk in this particular investment than what Kenny or the UCP government is willing to admit. Right. Well, and uh, I mean, this is part of, this is part of the role of government. Like a lot of people are saying, well, private industry isn't investing in this. Why is the government? And it's like, well, that's actually the role of government is, you know, if, if industry was going to back, TC Energy or the, the 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 investment world was going to back TC Energy, then there wouldn't be any need for this. Right, and so, this is 
this is the role of a government. And, you know, maybe, you know, there are people out there that don't like the fact that uh, we're in the oil business. Well, we're an oil province. <laughs> with a Welcome to Alberta. <laughs> with a petrosexual government, we're in the oil business. So. And we will be until the death throes, for sure. Um, but yeah, there's like there are so many outside influences on an investment like this that you know I, I definitely have reservations about how great of an investment this really is because I mean this this is actually one thing that I have been you know so wishing that I had a few separatists to speak with and ask them how would this be going if we were our own state uh, country whatever you want to call it uh, if if alberta had separated what what situation would we be in and i realized that the number one thing is well we wouldn't have sent all those billions to ottawa well technically it's march and our taxes have been delayed until june so we haven't we haven't sent anything and we're still broke. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's very few companies that are that are stepping up to say, no, no, we'll keep paying employees. That's not happening. No. Right? Like this this whole idea that if Alberta was its own country, that everybody would support everybody else, they won't do it now. I, I don't understand why people think that suddenly this is going to change in the future. So, I mean, the, you know, of course, Jason Kenney was going to invest in oil and gas. He said as much, what, November-ish? Was that when the last budget was tabled? October? Well, uh, he's been saying it since before he got elected. That's right. Like, it's always been, we will support oil and gas. Whether and the, cars. sorry? And used cars. <laughs> and used cars. <laughs> Oh, he didn't actually say that. He just took their money. He just took their money. But you know, actually, I will say that I had an interview with a um, with a car dealership or a, a general manager of a car dealership, and we talked about you know what had what was going on in Alberta and the economy and things like that. And he said that once the UCP got into government. Well, they ordered a whole bunch of vehicles and that wouldn't have happened had the UCP not come in right. and that helped keep them afloat. Well, of course it would, because as soon as people buy things, that helps keep you afloat. Um, but, you know, they, they, the UCP kept some promises for sure. Other promises like uh, end corporate welfare, uh, those have gone out the window. <laughs> and again situationally i get it like right now everything kind of goes out the window the budget shouldn't have been one of the things the budget should have been held off and re absolutely redone yeah but the ucp didn't send that out the window everybody else did mm. well and our credit rating went down because of it uh. Yeah, there's... Yeah, no, and I mean, it, it's the interesting <laughs> question, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe to get on the Wexit Facebook group, it's like, what would you guys have done differently? <laughs> because, 
because, I mean, you know, what was the quote I saw the other day? There's no atheists in foxholes and there's no capitalists in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Libertarians is what I'd seen. No libertarians in a pandemic. Everybody wants help. And, you know, and that's that's kind of, it has been interesting to see. I think Donald Trump actually came out and said, yeah, absolutely not. We're not helping cruise lines because they all moved to their head offices so they pay, they don't pay U.S. taxes. <laughs> he was like, yeah, we're not helping you. And I was like. Did he actually say that? I believe he did. Ooh, I believe well, I know, he did. I know did. there's a big pushback against it, but I can't believe that Don <laughs> said that. So. Right. Um, and it was it was kind of one of those moments when you're like, wow, you know, you you do get this. But I mean, I'm still like I still get the I get the updates from um, oh the Canadian Taxpayer Federation, CTF, um, and you know they're they're all asking for for federal money. <laughs> it's like, but aren't you the same people that are saying stop taxing us? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I meanwhile, mean, also Andrew Shear is asking for us to, uh, uh, you know, re- refund, re- return GST dollars and uh, uh, stop increasing the carbon tax. Yeah, because. Now, now, apparently somebody doesn't understand when you take a percentage <laughs> of, of, a, of a unit and that unit goes down, your percentage goes down with it. So. Yeah. And the, the. Oh, see, I am I am 100% on board with the uh, crisis basic income argument that is coming out of mostly Alberta, it seems like. Right. And so we have the great Stephen Carter. You're going you're going to get hate mail for that. <laughs> and but we also have Ken uh, Bosenkul or Bosenkul. Right. And he is a an unabashed conservative uh, supporter, and I don't even want to say ideologue because I don't know him well enough, but I'm pretty sure that that's the line that he fits into. And he has made the argument over and over and over again that while uh, basic income is a bad idea in good times, and he's, he's absolutely against it in good times, but he's like, all of these programs that the government is laying out, and if you've seen online any of the uh, charts that people are putting together to try and help people figure out what benefits might be available to them depending on their situation, this is insane. And this is where Ken is kind of, that's where his argument really gains speed because he's like, no, no, just give everybody this much money and if they made more than this much money, then they have to pay it back. Yeah. Well, or they have, like, it's, and, he goes, it's easy. And <laughs> and so is that what, the, you know, we had asked the question both uh, on this podcast as well as uh, the other one we were on on the weekend was what does, what does it mean to be a conservative post-pandemic? And maybe that's actually it, is that we aren't, you know, we as small C conservatives aren't saying, you know, always lower our taxes, but it's like, can we do this thing a little more efficiently? So, mm-hmm. you know, Ken's just saying, give everybody the money and then tax everybody who's got too much. Yeah. Like okay. it, it, well, that's a, that's a pretty simple, and, and I mean, the, you, you, so you, highlight, you highlighted the problem is that everybody is creating graphs trying to help people understand what they're eligible for. 
-hmm. Well, first of all, why is everybody doing this? Why is this not coming from the government? Because, because even yeah, even the government doesn't know how to help people. Right. So even the government hasn't quite figured out, you know, how to put these charts together. And like it is it is um, it is sad when you see the number of, of programs and and, you know, applications to programs that might be available to you and as soon as you even look at that chart, you start to see, well, there's nothing for these people and there's nothing for these people. And, you know, a lot of the programs, too, are already, you know, they're they're iffy. You well, may, uh, you know, you may be eligible for these benefits, but we're not quite sure yet if you will put in the application and we'll see. Like and, that, and, that. And, and now we're taxing our EI system. We're getting everybody right. getting laid off for 12 weeks. And mm -hmm. oh, you're being told to apply for EI, so let's go tax the hell out of that because <clears throat> they they haven't ramped up the number of people working there, yeah. but they just decided to add ten or twenty times the number of applicants in a week. <laughs> um, and so, you know, as as one of one of my friends on Twitter pointed out, it's like, well, instead of saying, oh, lay everybody off, put them on EI, and then we, you know, whether you qualify for EI or not, you'll get paid. It's like. Why not just cut the companies a check for this? They're already on the payroll. Everything's been figured out. If they're going to lay them off for 12 weeks, just cut them all a check for the same amount as the EI. And if you're worried the company is going to claim a bunch, just like Ken suggested, audit afterwards. Mm -hmm. They all have to report it. It's like, hey, wait, hang on. We paid you for 12 employees, but you only paid this out to 10. Oh, yeah, that's a problem. But that, that'll come out in the wash very quickly. Mm -hmm. Or yeah. did they suddenly add ten more employees uh, with with the same last name as the owner? That that'll come out <laughs> with wash very quickly. Um, but that that's all set up, and that's the ease of it. And so you can reduce the the impact on the government delivering. And that's what we're seeing right now with the um, provincial. Like the provincial, we're supposed to be setting up a here's a short term fund until the federal stuff kicks in. Mm -hmm. Except nobody can get on. That's the other thing. <laughs> because, oh, lo and behold, I guess they laid off a bunch of men staff, and so nobody's writing code for any of this stuff. And, and nobody's, they were getting, they were nobody's getting answering phones. Question period <laughs> yesterday about it. And they're like, well, those people who uh, who can't get on, they, they can get the, uh, the federal one. And the question kept being asked. It's like, if this was supposed to be to bridge you until the federal, why are you now suggesting the federal is the way to do it? Yeah. So, yeah. None of this has to do with pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't, but it, it all kind of, it does all kind of go together because right now we've got, uh, you know, like I said, we've got a, we've got a provincial government that's saying, well, we don't have money for this. Oh, but we have way more money to do this. So, you know, it's uh it's it's kind of what the feds are doing as well, where they're saying, well, we have money to do this, uh, but we may not, you know, but we don't have money to make things easier for everybody, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Well, I that's, mean, that's it, it my just, that's my understanding. Yeah. yeah and I mean, okay, <laughs> so you know, the gov the government has misled us. Oh, heaven forbid. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah. 
Like and and like I said, you know, if you didn't like the UCP government before that decision, you still don't like them now. Oh, of course, of course. And I I'm still I'm still looking for that person who went. You know what? I I am I I didn't vote for this, and I'm so annoyed, and I'm out. I'm not seeing that anywhere. No. I'm seeing partisan being partisans and partisan being partisans, and no one's standing up and going. You know what? I was an adamant, adamant conservative, but there's been one too many and that's it. I'm done. I'm not yeah. seeing that. And I mean, like, you know, are you an older generation who's got a higher risk for COVID and your doctors are upset? Well, if that hasn't phased you and you haven't phased that the oil companies aren't paying for their bills and rural whatever and dumping police costs onto rural whatever, like, like. If none of that matters. If, if none of that made an impact. <laughs> Why would putting a billion dollars into a pipeline company suddenly change everything? All right. Also a very good question. So the only thing that I can think of is um, there is a potential. I don't know how big it actually is because I wasn't one of the people that believed because I, I was one of the people that absolutely did not believe that if Jason Kenney was elected, that things would be better. I did not believe that. So I'm not sure about what people who actually did believe that would be thinking right now. Like, is there, I mean, is there any possibility that they are looking at the situation going, wow, it didn't make a difference. Like, I, I, I honestly don't know. This is a, this is a conversation that I probably won't get to have this year <laughs> because of COVID. <laughs> I, I, when I knocked doors in 2019, well, I knocked them in 15 too, but um, when I knocked doors in 2019, I ran into a ton of people who always voted PC, who had voted NDP in 2015, because they wanted to teach people a lesson, but they didn't realize that the rest of the province was going to do that. <laughs> and and now they they were going back to the conservative camp. And they were like, because they didn't see the NDP and Rachel Notley as the solution. So no. now, now they may be being shown that Jason Kenney and the UCP isn't the solution either, but in the duality of our current electoral system or our current um, Alberta government system, where there's really only two parties fighting it out, mm -hmm. if you've already dismissed the NDP and Rachel, and you're now in a boat where it's like, well, I'm, I'm not that big of a fan of Jason and the UCP. But what, what are what my I, options? Yeah, like you're, you're kind of like, well, he at least <laughs> likes oil. Like yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're stretching for something like, like I, I asked the question, this was before the pandemic started, what would it take to, and it's a blog post on, on R and D is, or was it on your countersign? I think it's on countersign. So your, your most recent one. Yeah. The one where I said like, what's it going to take to actually flip a rural voter? Yeah, that's counter. So, so, <laughs> so take all that because that was pre pandemic and yeah. say, okay, you know, oil companies aren't paying their bills, policing costs are going, you know, local taxes are going to have to go up if you're a rural. 
all those things are going to happen. And now you're going to lose your family doctor because they've all said it's like, <laughs> as of today, we can't like, afford Don't. this. Yeah. And yeah. we're out. And your teachers are, you know, in a fight themselves. If if none of those things are going to do it, what what's the catalyst? It's so sad that I cannot think of what could possibly be worse. Um, yeah, I, I, we're gonna I end up don't with a bigger know. Debt. We're going to end up with a bigger <clears throat> debt in three years' time than we had a year ago. Well, of course. There is a, there's a guy who recently, I recently discovered him on Twitter or vice versa. And uh, his name is Richard Fantin, F-A-N-T-I-N. And he writes a blog called CanadianTrendsBlog.ca. And he has been following a lot of things, particularly in terms of uh, the economy. And he has a lot of complaints. And from what I've seen, some fairly good arguments and complaints. Now, whether or not, like this is, this is the thing, until CBC puts a lot of money into a lot of research again, like they did with the, uh, the thing right before the election? What, what was that? Do you remember oh, when they were? Alberta Speaks or whatever, when they did uh, the big panel thing. and Yeah, and they had, um, they did the, like they did, they did all of the different research. So they did surveys, they did focus groups, they did one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews. And just as a, you know, um, a social science geek who studied research, all of these things together are so much better for your data, right? It gives you a real insight. It's, it's fantastic. And the, the series that CBC did was just amazing, the amount of data they were gathering. And one of the things that, you know, was really curious is that the majority of people that they had those one-on-one -on -one interviews with when they did the surveys and things Alberta is basically full of liberals who want to vote conservative they well, want they want they want liberal benefits but they want a conservative government and now granted you you know yeah there's there's no connecting those dots but that seemed to be what they found didn't matter what people's voting intentions were they didn't want to lose their benefits Oh, yeah, no. And we've talked about this previously where, you know, Alberta loves, you know, we want we want all, all the benefits and we don't want to pay for it. Oh, yeah. Well, because we I, haven't had to. Yeah, Our parents I, didn't have to. I, I want to be able to drive down the Deerfoot at 125 kilometers an hour, <laughs> but I don't want to be pulled over for speeding. So, yeah, good times. And and, you know, it it's it's come and do at some point you know, the piper is going to have to get paid. And, and that's, that's the thing that I think a lot of people, and maybe that's why we keep doubling down on conservative governments in this province is that um, we don't, we obviously don't want to pay the piper. No. Oh God. And, you know, I mean, how many more times do we have to print the uh, bumper stickers of Lord, give me another oil boom. I promise not to piss this one away. Um, we're, we're now up to three. So, well, and that's, and that's, yeah, I mean, to bring it full circle again, 
what is oil what is oil going to do i mean that was something else that uh came out on saturday is that jason kenny is trying to get or sorry that he's in contact with u.s officials and u.s contacts to it it what it sounded like to me is that he's basically trying to get them to say let's shut out saudi and russian oil let's just work together you know U.S. is finally, <clears throat> I don't even want to say finally, U.S. is self-sufficient so long as they have some bitumen. So they did. They do need some, but they don't maybe need as much. I'm not even 100% yeah, sure, no, but that, that's no, still... So they're self-sufficient as long as um, shale fracking is feasible. And so you need to have a certain West Texas dollar amount for those reserves to be profitable and that, that's that's that when we're at hundred dollar oil that's where the proliferation of american shale oil and gas came from but that's that's who's suffering right now because um you know fracking is a uh capital intensive project you're talking you know millions of liters of fluid you're talking tons and tons, thousands and thousands of tons of sand and the equipment to do all this work is expensive. And manpower. Yeah, well, you know, the manpower is actually the easiest thing. I could, you know, you know, the, the fracking these days, and I speak as somebody who used to work in the industry, um, finding 100 or 150 people to go do fracking is, is easy compared to trying to find the millions of dollars to buy all the various pieces of equipment. <clears throat> So um, there, there's, there's a cost to running an, uh, a fracking, not just the company, but the entire operation as an oil producer to have frac crews and continually going out and doing that work. So you need a certain minimum dollar amount. We're nowhere near that anymore. And so you're going to see a lot of those shale producers disappear. And so the American um, independence on oil is going to come back very quickly. Well, or sorry, the independence is going to go away. The dependence is going to come back. Right. And so some of that's going to be provided by us, but some are, um, Saudis are still good friends of the Americans. So. Well, and that's kind of where, um, like, I understand where Kenny is going with his idea of if we shut out, if we shut out Russian oil and Saudi oil, if we end up putting tariffs on imported oil, at $60, $70 a barrel, you know, obviously, well, it would, it would have to be high, right? Because I, they're I'm selling laughing, it so low. <laughs> I'm laughing because I remember which party in 2019 suggested <laughs> there should maybe be a tariff on foreign oil and it was <clears throat> UCP. Yeah. Yeah. And before that in 20, oh, 15, 16, 17, it was uh, Prasad Panda who put in the private member's bill to basically, uh, oh, reanimate the NEP. <laughs> and I remember as soon as I saw that tweet from him, I was like, say what? Like, this is this is basically the National Energy Program. Like, se like seriously? Um, but this has been something that for sure has been growing in I mean in Canada for sure but mostly Alberta 
But also, I kind of see where Jason Kenney's coming from, where if we can get the U.S. to get on board with that, if, if they want to, and the thing is, that speaks to Trump's protectionism, right? Like he's, if he wants to protect his oil and gas, then he's really going to have to shut out everybody else right now during Russia and Saudi's, you know, issue. If he shuts them out, that protects us too. Because right now we are on the tail end of, well, we are getting screwed. Yep. And, you know, we're screwed because the U.S. sets the price for our oil. So if the U.S. were to buy into protectionism and close the borders to imported oil, that would be beneficial for them, yes. It would be beneficial for us-ish as long as they paid us more for the oil. But the thing is, they still set the price. Yeah, but but Trump Trump isn't a big Trudeau fan. So if he's shutting the borders, he's shutting it to us as well. Oh, you're so optimistic. <laughs> pragmatic. The word's pragmatic. <laughs> So anyway, I think the long and the short of all this is that uh, uh, the investment the investment wasn't a bad idea. We should all cross our fingers and okay, the investment might not be a bad idea. We all have to cross our fingers because it has nothing to do with us. And because the outcome of this, yeah, the outcome of this has nothing to do with us. We have we have literally no say in the matter. Right. So well, it, would have been, it would have been great if, you know, we had a billion dollars to put into a tech center and <laughs> said, please come here. Or we invested into getting 5G into rural communities. But that's another podcast. <laughs> oh, Mark. You just took the whole, all the arguments and just flushed them down the toilet. <laughs> So many more things we could have done with one and a half billion dollars is what you're saying. Hypothetically. <laughs> Hypothetically. You know, seeing we, burning a hole in our pockets and we just got rid of a bunch of TAs. Right? Where, where are we going to spend it now? Uh, we can't spend it on, on education and health. we got to find somewhere to spend this money. And we're saving so much on health. Oh, that hurt. That hurts a little bit. And we thought we might not have an hour podcast. <laughs> we just go meandering around, so. We do, we do. Wrap but, the sucker up. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> so the $1.5 billion investment in the Keystone XL, uh, while it may be optimistic, it is not a sure thing. That's all I can say about that. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like a typical government investment. No, ah, nice dig. All right. We'll join everybody later? Yeah. <laughs> okay. The Political R&D Podcast is available wherever you get your podcast, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Political R&D. Mm-hmm.